Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. July 17th. The month is going by, but I think... Sometimes on a slow summer day, especially with the heat, it seems like it should be going slower, but no, we're already at the 17th. Who knew? And I'm giving a little shout out to everyone, the farmers that are out there. I've been watching the news and hearing from friends. We are in some heat, some hot spells. So we have to take care and remind, try to be positive, try and think positive. Our hearts are with everyone that's out there. Um, It's the season of drought we're praying for rain so let's all cross our fingers and hope that we get a little bit somewhere in the province today i have to give a shout out to uh one person who has been calling in about some spruce trees i had a little welcoming visit by james uh from lebo he popped in it was so nice to see a face to someone who has been calling in so thank you james for your visit and thank you for the poem he made a little visit in, and he wrote me a poem, and I'd like to share it with you today. Take a listen. Hello, I'm Carla, the gardening girl. If you got growing thumbs, give me your number. Give your number. Sorry, I'm going to start again because I have to do justice to James's poem. I'm sorry about that, James. Here we go. Hello, I'm Carla, the gardening girl. If you've got growing troubles, give me your number a whirl. I've been called the plant nurse and hopefully nothing more worse. By calling, you've made the right selection. So give me any garden question, and I'll do my best to find a cure. Because I love my plants, that's for sure. Was I born with a green thumb? Well, it looks the same as the other one. When I'm gardening, I'm in a special world. So I'm a lawn and garden type of girl. When I'm gardening, my daily troubles are left, and I'm surrounded by nature. What a find. There's nothing too simple or too hard for a solution in my helpful mind. So if you've got a growing trouble, please call, and I'll do my best to help one and all. Thank you so much, James, for the lovely poem. And that is such a cute poem. Thank you again, James, for stopping by. Like I said... I love to meet you. Uh, we're, we're becoming a gardening family. We see each other and we have some uh, new gardeners that we hope we have listening that are helping us to learn. And us too. Yeah, I'm going to say, I've got a little bit of green thumb, but I like to make it greener by learning along with you. So we're going to go right to the lines. We have Lynn waiting. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Oh, hi. I have a question about hydrangea. We have sure. three hydrangea on the east side of the house. And uh, for the last uh, two years, they, um, or even three years, one of them has like two or three blooms and uh, the other two don't have any blooms. And one of them is six years old and the other one are, um, the others are three years old. Okay, so I don't and know what the problem is, that they're not blooming. Okay, um, and they're all in the, okay, so is the, is the guard, I'm going to ask about because if it's, if they're planted at different times, but yet 
they're still kind of doing the same thing. Even when two or three blooms are on a plant, that's pretty weak blooming that's on it. So they should be blooming quite a bit. Now, if it's on the east side, how much sunlight does that get? And is there a larger canopy of trees that makes it a little more shady? Um, well, they get the morning sun, but, you know, when when uh, they were young, well, we replaced them because... Um, they were they weren't doing well, but they used to be just full of blooms okay. um, initially when we planted them. Okay, I don't so, think that the tree canopy has changed really much because they get the morning sun, and they get sun probably till like they're still in sun now. Yeah, so are so they get sun till eleven till noon. Well, they get the uh, they get the morning sun, which is the rising sun. Yep. Uh, until, yeah, maybe about 11 o'clock. Till 11 o'clock. Okay, so you're getting um, the cooler, what we call the cooler side of the sun because full sun, and we find that uh, full sun is generally six hours, five, six hours of sunlight. And even if it's the morning sun, it, you do get that sunlight. It's just slower to get things growing in there. And I find that hydrangeas, though they're a shade lover, I find that they do better with a little bit more increased sunlight. So we know that you have the sun capacity. We know that they bloomed before. So I'm going to now target onto your soil conditions. Um, what is your soil like? Is it uh, sandy? Is it compact? Is it clay base? Well, my husband has worked in uh, like some, he works in compost every spring in around the soil. Sure. And, and also we have some well-aged uh, manure that we put in. Okay. All right. Now, we know that um, I'm, the reason why I'm asking you about the, the soil is if the trees, now the shrubs themselves, do they get nice and lush and big? Yes, there's lots of, yeah, they're, um, well, one of them is really small, one of them is nice and big, and one of them is medium. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's, there's a storybook about, you know, <laughs> the size that's in there. But I think what's happening is maybe because if it's, if it's aged manures that are in there, and plus we've got compost going at the same time, sometimes some plants, if they get too much nutrient base, uh, they get too much of a witness and they abort their blooming capacity and they just get nice deep green leaves and growth. Now, if the the trees and everything or the shrubs are getting uh, adequate fertilizer that's on there, maybe uh, next year, let's forego on adding more manure to it. Let's just make sure it's tilled up very well that's on it. And when you're putting in manures, your high nitrogen, your high nitrogen is going to cause a nice uh, plant and it's going to have good growth that's in there. Um, they also like moisture. So if it's in a drier site and if you have areas, and it may seem silly saying, well, all three of them got the same nitrogen and all three of them got the same moisture. But in different areas of gardens, if you have uh, more moisture on one than the other, that could affect the growth and part, part and part combined with your high nitrogen. There could be a ratio or a mixture there that's causing the blooming to um, slow down. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, okay. we realize that too much uh, fertilizer is not good. And yeah. um, so we don't really use very much. Like the manure was really quite little. Okay. And we've only had the manure like this year that we brought in. Okay. So they're, okay. So, and last okay. year they didn't do well either. Okay, you're stumping me. Okay, so you know what? 
What I'd like you to do, do you ever do um, uh, a high fertilizer that has a high middle number? Um, you know, he was, uh, my husband was using miracle Grow. Yeah, miracle Grow should work with that's on there. So it would be have that high middle number should help encourage blooming that's on it. So I'm just curious if there's a whole different combination that's going on it and applying moisture because moisture is key on some of them. I know. Yeah. Um, you know what? He has like a little irrigation system along the hydrangea and he always turns that on. So Yeah. Well, I yeah, think you're like doing... they are up against the house, but yeah. they do get like well watered. Okay. He well, puts it on every second day. Well, and there you go. Watering. Well, that's excellent because hydrangeas at this time of season really like. Well, a lot of plants are really wanting that moisture. Um, you know what? I'm stumped with going through that. Um, what I'm going to suggest is if you're only putting a little bit, just try encouraging the fertilizer with the high phosphorus, like your high middle number. I always call it the middle number that's on there so that yes. you can get some increased blooming that's in there. Um, I think it may be in combination. Maybe it depends on the variety that you put in, that you replant it in there. If it's Endless a little bit summer. different. Endless summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Endless summer is a little bit slower to bloom, I find. So uh, Endless Summer is the nice uh, blue one that goes into it. And Endless Summer, depending on the conditions, are all three of them Endless Summer? Yes. Okay. Um, I find that they, myself, in my conditions uh, where I am, I find them a little bit slower to bloom for me, especially if they don't have a little bit brighter light on them. Um, Oh, yes. Yeah. So you know what? I would say just try encouraging direct watering that's in there. Lightening up the soil, maybe if by adding soil to the top, tilling around a little bit to maybe loosen up some of the soil if it is a clay-based, because if it's a very heavy soil, some soils can be compacted and a little bit tighter around houses. Um, It is drier around houses too, because foundations keep the heat longer that's on there. So let's maybe see if we can increase the fertilizer a little bit on that high middle number. Um, Give them that little bit extra water that's in there and see if that will help to promote it, okay? Oh, yes. It's too late, really, to get encouraged blooms for this year, is it? Well, we do fertilize up, and we always like to say fertilizing up until mid-August, and I I really don't want to say it, but uh, mid-August is not that far away, and that's when most of our big trees and our shrubs and everything start the beginning of a dormancy pattern in them. But who knows, uh, that may have shifted a little bit too, but I usually like to see people stop fertilizing trees and shrubs mid-August because we do not want to increase growth pattern at that point. Blooming, definitely. If it's for blooming, you can do that. Um, You know, especially our hanging baskets and our annuals. We want to keep that going. We want to see that color all season long. So if there's still a little bit of time there, if you want to give it a little bit you still have some time into August, okay? Yes, we'll do. Thanks very much, Carol. That, oh, okay. thank you. Bye-bye. You're, you're welcome. Bye-bye. You know what? There's so many different things, and I've got stumped on that one. I know that with hydrangeas, too. Um, myself, I planted a couple hydrangeas a few years ago, just a little bit on my east-north corner of my home, and I seem to have a little bit of a struggle on that one, too, because I think I need to move it in a little bit of a brighter, sunnier area. And maybe it's the competition of some of my cedar and some of my big uh, spruce trees there. 
There's another aspect of it. We never know. We learn together. Let's go right back to the lines. We have, I hope I say your name right, Agonitha? Yes. Hi, Agonitha. That's right. Hi, Carla. Hi. I forgot to ask Lynn where she's calling from. Where are you calling from this morning? From Steinbeck. Well, good morning out to Steinbeck. I do have some friends out there. Good. Uh, I have a, a watermelon question. Sure. Uh, I, for the first time in my decades of gardening, I've planted watermelon, and it's blooming profusely. And I was wondering if I should uh, pinch some of those blossoms off to make it uh, the, the uh, rest of them get a better chance. You know what? That is a that is some um, that is actually an activity or a, uh, that a lot of people start to do. Uh, yes, you can, because if you find that there are a lot of flowers closer to the core of the watermelons, and then you start getting the tendrilling that's going along, um, the energy is then going on the still length, the growth, and the further uh, future development of more flowers. So if you want the development to continue on the ones that have already started to go and grow, like to fruit... Yes. Uh, you can snip them off, and then that concentrates on the plant's energy to put it more into the fruit development already, rather than more f- additional flowers. Yeah, it's just a, 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 supposed to be a small, like the name is Sugar Baby. Oh, they're nice. And I have never done this before in all my decades. <laughs> so, so, so anyway. have, yeah, so have, uh, have you started getting some fruit? No. Uh, developing, have you seen that? Uh, I think there's little buds starting to, or whatever you call those little growths. Yeah, I think some of the buds have developed, uh, the flowers have developed into something more than just a flower. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. think it's starting. Okay, so here's a hint, and I always, like, I always like to sort of give you experience from what I've done, and I love hearing about the experience of other people. I planted uh, some um, muskmelons or cantaloupes, uh, for my granddaughter Ruby, and I also planted some zucchinis and uh, uh, you know some squashes and that kind of stuff, just so she could see it and give her that jungle effect that's on there. So, in the essence, if some people have been coming in and saying that they've been having their fruit or their flowering, but they're not getting that fruiting aspect. So, a um, the flowers that are opening to the point where you want to sort of snip off, maybe do a little bit of cross pollination. Uh, if you're if you already have great pollination and you haven't been doing anything, that's awesome. If not, sometimes uh, mimicking it and taking a part of a male flower and going along, or take I like uh, showing Ruby how to do a Q-tip and going from one to the other, just so you get the cross-pollination aspect of it. Well, how do it. you know if it's a male or a female? Uh, it's in the shape. You'll find a l- different shapes of um, the inset of the flower. It's oh, okay. on there. See, yeah, I'm a and rookie. It, I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, there's different. And that's why I kind of say, well, if you don't know, take a Q-tip and go from one to the other to the other, and then you're going to do the, the, you'll be the bumblebee, you okay. know? Okay. You can sing the bumblebee song as you go. Sure, <laughs> the, I'll do that. As you do it. And, okay. But the other thing, Agonita, that I should say is, um, from my own experience, I have this wee bunny that uh, uh, my granddaughters love when it's in the backyard. They love running after it. But... Make sure that you have enough flowers that are going on it because this morning I checked on our uh, our plant this morning when I was giving a early morning watering and lo and behold, some of my nice little buds that I saw that were starting to prevent fruit were donated to little Miss Bunny. So <laughs> make sure you have book. enough flowers that will develop, okay? Yeah, okay, I'll do that. Thanks. Okay, yeah. thank you very much. Thank you very okay. much. Bye-bye. Okay, enjoy your day. Bye. So, bye. 
And the other thing too is our watermelons, and I, and I know that uh, in some areas we are on a uh, water ban that's on there. So if you're looking at watering, maybe there's uh, uh, gray water that you have that you can use on your uh, gardens. If you can use that that's on it, it helps to subsidize. Uh, I know that uh, uh, with our two granddaughters, we have the teeniest little uh, pool that I use for the granddaughters when they come in and they play. And then after the granddaughters have been finished up, I know my Westies love to go in for a little bit of a dip. And once that's done, it all goes into the garden. So try and conserve some of the water that you're using too. And the beneficial part of it is putting it on some of your plants as well. Okay, just be cautious of the soap content that you have that's in there. So if uh, you're too much concentrated on your soap, it may cause a little bit that's on it. But any type of, uh, if you can retain, I know some areas got some moisture Get out the rain barrel, see if you can tap that source that if we cross our fingers that we get that rain, we're capturing that extra rain from our rooftops into our rain barrels so that we're able to subsidize and put it on our gardens. All right, let's go right back to lines. Good morning, Caroline. How are you? Good morning, Caroline. Oh, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm just fine and yourself. Very well. Where are you calling from this morning? I'm calling from the Warren area. Warren, well, hello, Warren area. I know exactly where you are. How, how can we help you this morning on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Well, my raspberries, all the fruit at the end, the pointy end of the raspberry fruit, yep. is, is um, like seedy. And, there, and some, if it's not seedy, it's got little brown ends on it. Okay. Um, with that... There could be a lack of moisture, not enough moisture that's in there that's on it. There's other things um, that could cause that too as well. Is there's a lot of beetles, like a, what I'm talking about is a um, like a stink. There's stink beetles that are out there that's are happening of it. There could be other little bugs that are affecting it. Um, you know, it's all that different aspects that you have. And there's also, um, okay, sorry, you caught me here just with tarnish beetles will sometimes affect uh, stra- strawberries and also on raspberries that will give you that defective type of look. So are you um, applying moisture? Yes, I am. Like one, yeah. one uh, I just watered, oh, well, it was about a week ago. I probably had the sprinkler on them for about three hours kind of thing, and then I just watered the other day. Okay, and what what do the leaves look like? Is it just affected on the berry itself, or is there an aspect that's happening to the leaf structure? To my knowledge, it's only the uh, berries. I haven't seen anything on the leaves. I mean, there's a there's a there's some grasshoppers jumping around, but uh, I didn't know whether they would they would uh, eat the end of the berry off. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if they'll eat the end of the berry. I know that uh, I'm seeing more, just in the last week or two myself, I'm seeing a lot more uh, grasshoppers and almost the, not the, I always call them the cute grasshoppers versus the grayish, mm-hmm. I think they are they look like locusts. I don't know if that's the right word for them, but I know that in the States they're rampant in some uh, territories or some states right now, and I'm seeing a little bit up here as well. I don't know if they would go after the fruit versus, but uh, if they're hungry, I think most bugs will go into it. But if it's misshapened, is it, it, take, now here's, here's the question. Is it misshapened or does it look like it's being eaten? Because there is a difference when you look at that fruit. 
Is it what? I'm sorry. Is it misshapened or is it being nibbled? Because in our gardening world, if we look at some aspects of some things, uh, particularly leaves and berries, you can tell when there's been an eating munching look versus a deformity look. It's like I say, the the end of it, it looks like it's... um, Puckered in? uh, Pardon me? Like it looks like it's sort of puckered in, like it hasn't fully opened. Um, no, I think it's, I think it's opened. Like, like there are a few that's puckered in that has the brown on it, but the other ones look like um, almost as if it's seedy and drying kind of thing. Okay, check for uh, check for bugs. Uh, because what you can have is if the fruit is developing poorly, and this is the first year that it's happened on you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think it could be heat, it could be heat that's in there. It could be heat development where the plant is not respiring, or is the plant is probably. And this is okay. We're gonna back this up. There's so many plants right now that are. When I say respiring, is they develop through their leaf structures. It's the way that they breathe and take in. Um, the CO2 and the oxygen to create oxygen and the growth pattern of what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of plants are respiring or take, trying to take up as much moisture as they can, but mm-hmm. they are losing more moisture faster than they're getting in the ground. So yeah. we're going to see that if in some instances uh, underdeveloped leaf structures, we're going to see problems with fruit development. We're going to see uh, fruit drop or just not the amount that you're going to see normally in fruiting. So it could be either that. The other thing that you can look for is try and open up one of the berries too to see if you have a, a bug or a something that's in the inside of it. Sometimes you've heard me say, I get out the old uh, uh, exacto blade and I like to cut through things. Uh, my business partner the other day had a rose gall and it was like doing science biology. It's like, wow, let's cut this open and see what's inside. Mm-hmm. So if you can go out there and grab a few of them and open them up and see maybe if there's something on the inside that is preventing it because sucking insects will do that. They'll cause a deformity, but they'll be on the inside of the berry. Okay. And, okay. And if that's the case, what do you do with it or can you do anything? Well, at this point, it's probably too late because most of those sucking insects... Um, in that aspect, most of the sucking insects, uh, it will be a mother one that goes up and lays the eggs on the insect as the fruit is just starting to develop, and it gives you that fruiting cocoon so that they're able to be in there as they're growing, and that's their um, food source, right, for the for okay. when they do develop. So yep. in some instances, uh, spraying a little bit uh, with an endol or an application just as the flowering and the, then the development of the fruit happens will help to eradicate that. Uh, sometimes by using um, protective netting. Uh, sometimes, um, you know, like there's row covers. But I don't know if it's feasible enough if your garden is that big to do that portion of it. And sometimes insects come in waves due to weather and environment. So mm-hmm. it could be just one of those years that if you've never had it before, we seem mm-hmm. to get cycles of bugs and diseases. Now, here's a shout out to everyone to listen. When we get a season where you have cycles of bugs and diseases, this is the part that when we do hit into 
the fall and we see that cycle, this is where we have to clean up our gardens diligently. We don't want the the fruit on the ground as much as we can. Get a little bit of raking, get rid of the debris, get rid of, because we do not want them overwintering in the soils so that it causes a cycle again. Okay? Okay. All right. So for the fruit that's on there, I we can't, you know, reverse it. But yeah. uh, if there is other fruits that are good and on there, maybe pick them a little bit sooner uh, before they pre-ripen. So at least you have a little bit of strawberry or raspberry, sorry, that you're able to harvest. Okay. 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 All right. Very okay. Good. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. Okay. 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 Bye bye. Bye bye. There's so much to learn with gardening, and we see that. And when we look at there's different types of areas, because I did have some people, and it seems like it it's the 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 bug kind of aspects, because gardening is not. If I bring this through, gardening is not black or white in print. There's always a scenario that brings someone's experience a little bit different than the others. And I think we always talk about this because it's like going to the coffee shop in your town and sort of saying, well, this is what's happening with me and this is what's happening with me. But we live in the same community. We have different types of elements that create this experience. Whether you're a novice or whether you're well green in the thumbs, right? But what works for me might not work for you. And the elements being the environment, right? Am I getting rain or are you not getting rain? It's the elements of maybe I have bugs, you don't have bugs. There's different conditions. There's sun, there's rain, there's drainage, there's soil conditions. You know, uh, Winnipeg is clay-based. Brandon, Sandy, drains through really quick. So, like I said, it's always an encouragement of staying positive and learning from our experiences. And when I say it's not about the black or white, I just, you know what, I just had a moment. Black or white. Um, there's one person that I'd like to say, if you're listening, we haven't heard from him for a long time. It's Henry. I hope, Henry, if you're listening or if your friends are listening, I hope you're doing well because the black and white just gave me a little bit of a smile because I remember the skunk story when we had that's in there. So there's so many different, and yes, we, the different type of aspects too that are out there. Not only do we have elements, we have nature in the forms of Miss Rabbit or the deer or the squirrels. And yes, squirrels have been wreaking havoc in some of the garden sites. Have you heard? They've been digging things up and moving things around. And of course, there's some of the ones that are actually doing uh, planting of peanuts. Now, we are learning about bugs and everything today. But before we do that, let's see what uh, we have a caller. There's Mary on the line. Hi, Mary. Hello. Hello. Where are you calling from this morning? Morton. Well, hello out to Morton. How are you? I have this rhubarb plant, and then it uh, seems like the roots is coming above ground. Can I dig it up and plant it deeper? Okay, you're talking about the, the not the, or is it the roots or is it the crown? Uh, because you know how rhubarb goes through, it almost looks like native ferns where that first little bulbous port, portion comes up and it looks like the woody portion. Gee, I can hardly hear you. Oh, it's the, can you, you know what, let me see if I can, oh, that's uh, no. are you better now? Okay, yeah. so is it the crown or is it, if, Okay, is it the crown coming from the main stem portion, or are there roots coming up from further away? No, it's the top away? part, the big crown, I guess. 
Yeah. Normally, rhubarb will crown a little bit that's on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and rhubarb self-settles itself a little bit that's on it. So what you want to do is in nature, these do well when they're sort of at the top or at the surface because that gives it sort of a, it looks like this knuckle that's ready to open up in the spring. Yeah. And rhubarb does not like to be set deep. Oh, okay. Okay, so if the crown is there, don't disturb it. If you want to be able to uh, protect that ground a little bit in the winter time, you could put a little clean leaf mulch over top of it, but it's fine where it is. You don't need to lift it and, and put it in deeper. Oh, good. Okay. Because it's really doing good always. Well, you know what I always say? If it's doing good, don't move it. Don't touch it. It likes it where it is, right? <laughs> like red green. If it uh, if it doesn't need fixing, then you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> you know what? Leave it where it is. Enjoy it. I I'm just thinking about strawberry rhubarb pie right now. I don't know why, but. Uh, you know, it's just something that is just, uh, and I love the dramatic leaves of the rhubarb, too. Yes, my neighbor makes stepping stones with the rhubarb leaves and <gasps> on top. I did the same thing about, oh, I'm okay, can I say 20 years ago? I did the same thing. I had my husband go and get me some cement, and I made it into this. He made me a nice little tray box, and I have rhubarb stepping leaves that lead me to my garden path that goes to my where I turn my uh, hose on and that just because I don't like stepping in little pebbles I like that look it just yeah. gives you that aspect beautiful thank you for the memory okay thank you okay take care and enjoy that strawberry rhubarb pie oh the rhubarb is my one of my favorite fruits oh yeah and you know what rhubarb crisp too as well it's yummy <laughs> okay we'll see you Thank you for calling. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. These are the fruits of our labors. No tongue-in-cheek. But all of the, the, the harvesting that we get, it tastes so good. A tomato tastes like a tomato. A carrot. Oh, my. A carrot tastes like a carrot. These are the rewards. And I have to say, uh, my sister, who lives down south, hi, sis, if you're listening, she actually has an area where she wanted to get into it. She has a, a beautiful home, but they did not have a veggie garden. So her and her hubby started venturing. And yes, she's a little bit uh, aged like me, not as aged, but they started. And what do I get? I get a photo of her first set of tomatoes that said, I did it. So this is the things that makes it positive. And it's like so rewarding to open and cut into a tomato and taste a tomato sandwich or hey can them up make some salsa can them up and make some paste right that's on it but before we went to the the message and before we talked to Mary about our our rhubarb now I'm thinking hungry things we had a question from somebody and we started talking about button berries and when I said button berries it's button strawberries this is again when we're talking about a mutation of a fruit or a mutation of of um, you know a plant and the mutations caused because of either uh, lack of moisture or of course bugs that's on it and when you say that this is a button strawberry a lot of times it looks like it's deformed it looks a little bit squashed 
it's not that irregular shape one where it looks kind of bulbous and where you have uh, strawberries that have two or three or offset legs or look like they're kind of bubbled out. Um, it looks like it's not the fused type of strawberries that looks like there's additional strawberries growing together. The button face uh, button berries, they look like they haven't fully opened up. They're sort of tighter that's on them. And this is caused by the external damages of either a tarnished beetle, spider mites, or in some cases, it could be, if it's in, in the earlier crops, it could be cold injury. If you have it now, I'm going to say it's not cold injury. It could be the other portions of it. Uh, a lot of times, if you're looking at your crops and you're thinking, okay, if it's not the tarnish beetle, if it's not spider mites, it could be the poor pollination. And that's why I'm saying if you have the opportunity on smaller scale gardens, you can be the pollinator. You can get out there and cross-pollinate some of your stuff. I'm notoriously telling of my tomato plants. I always walk by them and give them a little bit of a tap-tap. And when I'm doing a tap-tap, it's a release of some of the pollen that will maybe fall into other aspects of other items. Excessive heat can also cause poor development of fruit. All right. And the last one, which I hope we're not doing, is a lot of weed killers. And in the old days, the T4D used to be an application that would also cause deformity in fruit development that's on it. All right. So these are the ones that are going, and these are the conditions that if you're getting your button berries, and I think this is, I hope Emily Friesen is listening, because this is one of the questions that she sent out. And I thought, how fitting to, it kind of ties in to mention this. Now, if you're looking at your fused berries, which are the ones that are strawberries that look like there's uh, deformities or two berries that are kind of fused together that's on it, these are actually a, a, a further effect of your daylight temperatures. They're cloudy too low of, of sunlight, low sunlight levels. Well, we have not had that either. We've been sunny Manitoba, if you remember back on our license plates. But these are different conditions. Now, tarnished beetles also causes that cat face. So, and this is the true portion too when I say to clean up because the tarnished beetle creates that cycle again that goes into the bottom that comes up that lays it into the develop, first developing fruit that you want to avoid. So the other aspect that you can look for is too is cleaning a good site. You want to make sure that when you're working on your gardens to help eliminate the beetles and the bugs from coming in is to remove the weeds. I find that the first thing that happens in a, in a garden is if you're going to ring the dinner bell for bugs to come, it's because you've got weeds. The weeds are the first indicators and we love to keep the weeds away from our greenhouses so that we reduce the amount of bug infestation. You want to eliminate the weeds. The farmers, they eliminate the weeds because they want to secure their crops, right? So look for those different things. And if you want to do a little bit of a protective measure that's on it, if you've got the uh, smaller garden that you can do it on a smaller garden sale uh, size, Insecticidal soaps can be used, a soapy measure can be used, and again, row covers. Row covers work really well, so if you have gardens that are laid out in nice rows, uh, row cover fabric allows the light to go through, it will still allow moisture to go through, and it prevents the bugs from getting at it. It's perfect for when we see the flea beetles, 
We saw the flea beetles first come up for the first planting season. We know they're going to be back. So as we know they're going to be back, we're going to be rolling out the row cover again to prevent our uh, our crops of cauliflowers and brassias and broccolis from being infested again. So there's always the measures that we take in order to protect our plants. Now there's also the other little beetle that we see that is probably wreaking havoc on some of our tomatoes. It's And I'm saying it because we see the evidence of it now with people coming in. Why do I have a tomato that has all these little yellowish spots are on it? And when you slice open, you get this hardened yellow look to the tomato. It's not equally moist that's on it. These are caused by other um, sucking insects called stink bugs. Yes, I'm going to say they are a stink bug, and yes, they are stinky because they do not do well with our crops. And yes, if you they're called stink bugs because I think if you step on them, yuck, they do stink. All right. So if you want to keep your plants off there, the other aspect is we've talked about using row covers, and we've talked about using um, insecticidal soaps that are on there. But there are actual natural plants that will deter bugs as well. How many of you had parents or grandparents that always planted marigolds around their gardens? I could never figure out why we always had to have marigolds in the gardens. And my grandma, yeah, she had the marigolds. And I remember everyone would say, well, the marigolds come to the gardens, but then the grows take the marigolds. Well, why do the birds take the, the marigold top off of the marigold? It's because it has a, a chemical liquid that's in it. The birds t- pop the tops off. They get the oil on their beaks. And what do they do? They put it in their feathers to deter bugs. So it's a win-win. So using plants, it may be too late this year. Or maybe your garden centers still have some flowers that are out there that you can pop a few in. So marigolds and chrysanthemums are also been known to repel stink bugs. So you can use those plants in your garden. Think about catnip, garlic, yum, okay, I'm thinking garlic, lavender, and thyme. These also are different types of plants that deter stink bugs and maybe some other aspects of bugs, which is a good thing because they also have aromatics for us. And aromatics, catnip, your cats are going to love it. I know our cats here at the Garden Center love it. Lavender is soothing. So when you walk through the garden in the evening, oh, the lavender lavender is soothing. Thank you for calling into the Lawn and Garden Journal. This Lawn and Garden Journal is going to go now. We'll see you again next week or we'll listen again next week on the Lawn and Garden Journal. Bye-bye, everyone.